Awesome. Hello, welcome to The Lore You Know, a show where we talk with some amazing human beings who are storytellers, collectors, and folklorists as we discuss the history of, inspiration behind, and importance of recording and sharing regional tales. So today I have with me Jordan Heath from Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling Podcast, or the Campfire Podcast, as I prefer to say <laughs> Because long names throw me off. Oh, yeah. And Jordan, thanks for taking time to talk with me today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, I'm psyched to have you. So um, before we get into anything, there's a few things I want to address. One, the books in the windowsill. Looks mm -hmm. What are they? Um, there's The shiny uh, ones. The shiny ones. Okay, so this one is a collection of Lovecraft short stories. And this one is just a collection of short ghost stories. That's awesome. Good short deal. story collections. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get to the actual show, I guess, now. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> I already um, introduced you and said that you are a co-host of the Campfire podcast. Yep. And um, what else, like kind of give us a little bit of an intro to what got you into the strange and unsettling uh, world sure. that we are in. Okay. Um, so I grew up with really weird parents. Like, awesome. I, I think, which I think is like fairly common for people in our generation. I think our parents' generation were really into weird stuff. Yeah. Like, things like astrology and, and <laughs> you know that really they grew up in the like in the time when bigfoot took off right, right? Mm -hmm. Awesome. <clears throat> <Yeah>. <gasps> Did it work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you could have rebelled and gone the other way so yeah you could, you could have. um what so you grew up with that all around you did your family tell stories like that they had personally experienced or maybe stories that were like their favorite that they've 
heard over the years. Okay, perfect. Good deal. <laughs> she told a really scary story as when I was a kid about seeing what she perceived as a demon. Okay. Um, when she was a child and it, just kind of would stand in her doorway in her to her bedroom she was maybe 11 12 years old and it happened repeatedly over the course of like a year she saw it multiple times and yeah so I definitely grew up hearing stories that scared me you know what I mean and yeah. that like yeah that kind of stuck with me because there's nothing I love more than a scary story like right. I like a lot of folklore and stuff, but the ones that really grab me are the ones that leave me like just a little bit terrified. Right. Did it do yeah. anything or did it just look at her? It kind of, <clears throat> it would kind of just stand there like staring at her and like what she described as like seething, you know, oh, just I like, like yeah, mm. just like, it's a great verb, but like, just, <laughs> just like it would just lock eyes with her and yeah wow yeah yeah it's pretty pretty scary did you have any experiences like that never good not <laughs> not a yeah i know right um that's one that i'll pass on but no i've like i'll come right out and say it i've never had a single anomalous experience really yeah and it, it really it bums me out it continues to bum me out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Especially now that I'm into all this and like I get to talk with people who have had experiences and all that, like, man, I get so jealous. Mm -hmm. I do it. Like, I just want a little bit of personal confirmation. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Without the the personal experiences that cause you to have some doubts about stuff. Yeah. It yeah. it it does. Um <clears throat> I, I grew up listening to Art Bell and Coast to Coast, right? So I kind of try to follow his model and even, you know, the one continued now by George Norrie. But like when you talk with someone mm -hmm. to be like completely open and receptive, no, and sometimes it does sound crazy. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I've spoken with people and my, my, the logical side of my brain is going, is telling me there's no way. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this yeah. can't exist, but I shove that down. And in order to get as much, as much information out of them as possible. Right. Right. So that I can make the best, you know, the best assessment. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, I like being nice to people. I'm just a, <laughs> right. like, I'm just in general, I try to be nice. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm open to everything. But I've never had an experience myself. Oh man! Well, I hope you do, because yeah, that yeah, you 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 need to. You will. I'm sure you will. There's no way I you couldn't. I hope so. Yeah. 
I hope the universe is listening to you. <laughs> yeah, let's hope. <laughs> um, so when you, talking to your podcast, how long has it been up and running? How many episodes in are you guys? You're we're about a lot to, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we're about to release episode 50. Uh-huh. That's of the main, the main show. But in addition to that, every week, there is an interview that gets released every Friday. So we're coming up on a hundred episodes. Um, and we've been going since July 27th of last year. Wow. So yeah, not even a year yet, man. That, yeah. Cause that's one thing you always post uh, on Instagram. I'll see an advertisement for the two episodes per week. Yep. Which is wild. How are you keeping up with that? Like, how are you even doing that? Um, we, Ryan and I are incredibly determined to make Mm -hmm. something of the show. So we, we have, we're very like, I, I'm particularly very like regimented. So with having like a, an academic background, I'm used to like on Sunday evening, I lay out my entire schedule for the week like down to the hour yeah and and then i follow it right like a lot of people schedule their time but they don't follow the schedule you know what i mean and i'm and like my wife will tell you i'm annoying about it (laughs) (laughs) like i have my schedule and you know i have five kids Mm -hmm. like i'm who all have things going on all the time and you know they're I have to leave room for unpredictability with right. them. Um, and, but I'm, I'm determined to follow the schedule and it works. We've, you know, we've been going since July 27th of last year and we've never had a late episode. We've never missed a single episode the entire time. Wow. And I plan on that, you know, that being the, I plan on being able to say that in five years. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. awesome. So <clears throat> with five kids, how are you bringing them into this world of, uh, of oddities? You're, um, you are explaining some of this to them, right? Like you're yeah, <laughs> showing them the cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, my oldest is 15 and mm-hmm. he has very little interest in yeah. it. He's 15. I don't expect him to be interested in his dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so that checks out. Yeah. My 13 year old is really into it. And I have to like, I have to give it to him in measured doses. Right. Because I'm like, I'm a bit of a shelterer Mm -hmm. to get personal as a parent. I'm a bit of a shelterer. So um, I've been accused of being a helicopter parent, although I don't think I'm quite (laughs) that bad. Um, But I, I feel like I don't want to just like give him a book of Wendigo lore to read before bedtime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, (laughs) Is this stuff borders on, on, I mean, it gets scary, especially the stuff we cover. We go out of our way to, you know, Mm -hmm. we make things scary. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm introducing it. He's very into like, I'm letting him be into the like, 
um, sort of travel channel ghost shows and the like, um, you got a lot of the stuff STM makes he's really into. Um, he loves the On the Trail of series. Oh, nice. In particular. Yeah. And I like those because they're real, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not like dramatized. And it, it's sort of a balance for the, the like travel channel stuff. You right. know what I mean? That's more yeah. like dramatic and feels more put on to me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm letting him get in. I, my, my twins and my daughter are like, they know it's there, Yeah. you know? Um, but they don't, I don't know. They haven't showed a ton of interest. Yeah. They're like, this is what dad does, you know, yeah. kind of, but they don't but my 13 year old is super into it. So I have to be careful. Yeah. Oh, I understand that. Small, small doses for sure. Well, and <clears throat> it's some, um, especially at a younger age, you may think that you can handle stuff until you get to the uh, yeah. really nasty thing. And when you brought up Wendigo, that, I mean, that gets pretty wicked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'd rather have not be reading stories about like cannibalism and stuff right before, you know, right before yeah. bed you know yeah, that's yeah. true that's something you'd have to deal with anyway yeah like it, it falls on you that's what you yep. self-preservation as well in that yeah because <clears throat> you need and, sleep uh, <laughs> yeah, right? i mean another thing about our our parents generation i feel like my parents maybe not the whole generation but my parents were not careful yeah about stuff like that at all mm -hmm. they were I think like they were so sheltered by their parents' generation that they were like, we're just going to do the opposite yeah, and just like pour the whole world into his brain <laughs> at like eight years old. And like, and I remember trying to go to bed when I was like 10 years old after sitting around that campfire, listening to them just tell the scariest stories and yeah. like, yeah. So I try to avoid that experience for my kids. Yeah. I definitely remember watching some of the like late 80s early 90s horror movies when I was really young like kindergarten oh, yeah. age and having nightmares to the point that my mom had a talk with dad about letting me watch this stuff and to watch it now yeah. as an adult I'm like that was I mean Nightmare on Elm Street when I'm in kindergarten <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty intense yeah. stuff no wonder yeah that's pretty extreme <laughs> I didn't see it my dad was really into war movies because oh. he was he was in the army himself. So like he was so I remember like watching I don't know, like Deer Hunter when I was like nine years old. Mm -hmm. And just these like insane, intense, violent thing yeah. and they just never thought twice about it. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't and know if fine, that's like see? Yeah. You're fine. It's oh yeah, I'm totally normal. Uh, I don't know if that was like a selfishness, like, well, I'm watching what I'm watching, and if he's around, I guess he's around, or yeah. if it was just like a drive to not shelter me. I don't know. Either yeah. way, I think it was probably a mistake. <laughs> uh, um, so you, did you grow up in Indiana? I, know that... I did. Okay, so super flat out there. What were some of the stories that you heard growing up, like local, were there any local town legends that you were familiar with that piqued your interest? 
I mean, there were, so Indiana has a few cryptid sightings from history, but most of them are like from the 1960s back. Yeah. You have like the mud mermaids in Southern Indiana. You have the Beast of Bosco and Churubusco, which is a very cool story. I think a lot of people just go Beast of Busco, big turtle, but it's actually, it's a really <laughs> cool story. Um, but mostly what Indiana has is haunted houses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a house that's, that I grew up maybe three, actually it's, yeah, three houses from, it's now referred to as the Monroe house. Yep. That's been, now it's been investigated by a bunch of, you know, I think a bunch of the TV ghost hunter teams. Um, but yeah, I grew up three houses from that house and they're everywhere. Places yeah. like that are everywhere. Another yeah. 10, maybe three blocks in the other direction, there's an old, it was the first jail constructed in Indiana. Is it the Blackford County so, Jail? Yes. Yeah, I was there. I've investigated that one. Yeah. Okay, so I grew up three blocks from there. Um, yeah. And now it looks, it just looks like a weird little stucco garage, Mm -hmm. basically is what it looks like. But, um, so I grew up with a lot of ghost stories. Another thing Indiana has a lot of is UFO sightings Mm -hmm. because it's so flat here and the sky is so open. I think, I don't know. I think it's like the human reaction to having nothing pretty to look at in front of you you're gonna look up (laughs) right right um like literally and metaphorically um so yeah there are a ton of ufo sightings to do interesting yeah that so it was last summer i think is when i went over to indiana for that i it was specifically for ghost hunting that's the whole reason that i went over yeah uh blackford county jail and when you we went there we were also told that if we wanted to, we could go down to this um, speakeasy or something a few streets away. It's just, it, but it was so hot. This was like July, and it was so hot. No air circulation in that building, so we didn't, I mean, we walked through it to look at it, but we didn't stay there. We just went back to the jail because at least there were fans inside. But uh, that the speakeasy... It was just a it was just a building like a business building and then they had like a little tiny bar upstairs but apparently the whole place is active I don't know and that wasn't far from uh, I'm not gonna remember what it's called right now it's just like a few miles away and it's an old uh, like poorhouse a county home type situation oh yeah 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 um. that, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, we stayed there, and that that was nice. That that was one thing that I've noticed differently, and I don't know. <clears throat> that's my limited experience with Indiana, uh, yeah. for for haunted places. But compared to Ohio, the one thing that I really enjoyed was that in Indiana, they let you stay all night, literally, so that you don't have to leave at three or four in the morning and then drive home or to a hotel or something. They let us stay until like eight a.m. So we yeah. actually got to do the ghost hunt and then sleep before we had to hit the road. <laughs> that's awesome. I don't know if that's a all Indiana thing or just that particular area, but uh, I was a huge fan of that. 
Yeah, it's pretty pretty par for the course in Indiana. I think also in I that's this might be common everywhere, but like in small towns in Indiana, it's almost everyone who's out driving at 3 a.m. gets pulled over. Wow, yeah. Because it's such a small place that it, they're so few and far between that like it's impossible to not get hassled <laughs> if you're out that late. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely appreciated. Um, and the Monroe, I remember at when I was at the jail, the mention of the Monroe House wasn't far away either. So when you said that, I'm like, I know this. Yeah. Blackford County, the only county that I can think of in Indiana. Because that's, there. that's funny that, like, you know, that's the one I grew up in is your only experience in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also um, one of the small, I think the second smallest county in Indiana. Oh, Blackford. really? Mm-hmm. And it's got it's so many a, ghosts. It's a tiny little square on the map. Aw. Well, <laughs> I feel like, Andy, was there not a monster in Indiana that you were talking about? Oh, yeah, me? the Mill Race Monster. Which one? Mill Race Monster. Mill Race Monster. You know yeah. this one? Um, I don't know the details of it. Okay. But I've, yeah, but I've, <laughs> I've definitely heard about it. That's the, uh, that's the other uh, Indiana story that I know because of Andy. Found that he's got a binder of info on it. Nice. I can send you pictures. Of yeah, it. <laughs> I'd love to. Um, there's also like the green clawed beast, which is cool. It kind of falls into the like sky. I don't. I don't from like from from listening to the podcast Beliefful, I always call them sky whales. Okay. Um, but like, <laughs> the, there's this like concept that there are you know entities that live in like the atmosphere right like and that a lot of that explains a lot of like ufo sightings and stuff it's like you know people say like the ocean is you know a ton of it is undiscovered like no one's looking in the sky either (laughs) you know the sky if you think about (laughs) the sky as like a if you think about the sky as like a, a location the same way you would think of the ocean Right. right like a yeah. an area of space okay. and there so i don't know it's a little that's out fair. there but the green cloud beast happened in indiana and that's kind of part of that interesting yeah the first thing i thought of was that we have planes all the time but i guess right. we're talking higher than that because there's still plenty of space also a lot of that theory hinges on the idea of like of them being sort of ethereal and oh, like okay. So it doesn't um, matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. What's Just the... like this idea that if you like flip the right lens, you would see this like menagerie of insane beasts all in the sky. And yeah, just right. a pretty cool concept. But I put it, it in is. the same vein as like hollow earth and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. What, uh, what's the story with the mud mermaids? Oh, uh, <clears throat> okay. So they were seeing... First off, I think it's really cool that Indiana is like the most landlocked state ever, and it we have a mermaid story. Yeah. Um, yeah. It happened in the Ohio River in southern Indiana. They were seen in the early 50s, the late 60s, and the early 70s mm-hmm. by several different people. In the six, the sightings from the 60s were actually um, it was a group of people, and then about two weeks later, it was seen by four different individuals in the same afternoon like different encounters yeah so every time they were seen there were these two 
and they're not like it's not aerial right like they're <laughs> they're ugly like big ears no hair yeah humanoid um <laughs> humanoid on top um scales on their face and their chest mm. what i think it was sort of assumed that they because of how fast they were moving through the river that it, i don't know if the tail was actually ever seen right um but basically some sort of really ugly there and i'm not just being rude <laughs> that's how they were described over and over again is just the witnesses could not believe how ugly they were um but yeah they were seen a lot of times in the same like three or four mile stretch of the ohio river interesting yeah hmm. so indiana but has always broad broad strokes here yeah. Weirdness. Yeah, a wide range for sure. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> I had the honor of being on your podcast um, and being interviewed by you, and we talked a lot about research. So now that the tables have turned, I want to ask you, um, when you get into some of these stories, well, first of all, I have two, twofold. How do you choose which stories you want to cover on your podcast and how do you go about the research end of things okay um so how we choose basically ryan and i each have a massive list of topics that we're constantly adding to as we discover new things and um we try to and we break this sometimes but we try to keep it sort of alternating Right, like something in the paranormal world, and then the next week will be something in the extraterrestrial world, and then something in the cryptozoological world. Mm -hmm. And we, and then we occasionally throw in a mystery. Um, I mean, they're all mysteries, but you know, something like the Island Moore Lighthouse mystery, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, occasionally we did like the disappearance of Granger Taylor. Um, which I've kind of put in the mystery category, but anyway, we, we kind of alternate through because the idea is to uh, appeal to all 14 right? Mm -hmm. Like right. people who are, some people listen to our show for the ghost stories, some people for the, you know, for alien stories, some people for cryptids and my favorite people are the people who listen for all of them. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, but individually, it's kind of just whatever catches my eye that week. You know, I just kind of scroll through my list. And if I know I need a ghost story, I'll just scroll through my list of ghost stories and um, whatever, whatever piques my interest. I also have a friend who hosts a show called Tracing Owls. Um, and he's an insane researcher, like brilliant researcher. Um, and he will send me things that just blow my mind. And I, I often end up choosing categories based on the things he sends me. Um, cool. yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to have good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and okay. So the research, which is a big question, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I mean, much like you talked about when you were on our show, the goal, the immediate goal off the top is to work your way back to a primary source, mm-hmm. right? Always. That's the goal. Um, and sometimes that's not possible right. with, with the stuff that we cover, right? But the idea is to get as close as possible to that. Um, and to find, if you can, ideally, you find multiple primary sources, right? Um, but also our show is, is, I'll say it's not serious research. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. our goal isn't to like uncover the truth, right? Right. Like we're, we're here to tell awesome stories, mm-hmm. hopefully scare some people and yeah. hopefully they come back to get scared again. Um, but I always liked the quote, I don't know if it's actually Oscar Wilde or it's just one of the million quotes, you know, given to him. (laughs) Yeah. But um, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I follow that sometimes. Um, But when I do, we discuss it in the debrief. Right. When there are liberties taken in the storytelling, we talk about it. Um, We don't just write fiction and present it as truth and leave it at that. Um, because some people do that and I'll be honest it bothers me a little bit Um, I think because I want to be able to tell good stories without cheapening the legitimacy that I believe is in these stories right Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you can do both if you approach it responsibly I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know spicing things up a little bit for a good scare and then you you just talk about it. You talk about the real world things that inspire the story, right? Right. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to research. No, you, <laughs> you, um, I always try to get to a primary source, multiple if possible. I spend a lot of time because I choose a story. Like you said, we put out a lot, yeah. a lot of content. And I like to have a physical book. But that is not always possible in the time frame given. Um, and I'd like to say that we're, you know, always 10 episodes ahead, but that's not true. That's yeah. definitely not true. Um, so I don't always have time to secure a physical book um, when that's not possible. Thank God for Kindle. Right. I, I like because I like to. I like the, I think I'm just comforted by getting information from a source that has at least been vetted by a publisher. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels more substantial than, you know, a Reddit post. Right. Um, or a Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Um, not to say those, those things aren't important too, because that's a huge part of the research also is... Mm-hmm. But you have to consider things like Reddit posts, Wikipedia articles. You have to consider those threads to follow, mm-hmm. right? They're not, they're not the end all of the research. They give you leads. Yeah. Um, if you scroll to the bottom of any Wikipedia article, there's the gold, right? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. want to go read the sources. Um, so I do a lot of that. I do a lot of like um, bibliography rabbit holes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that I mean, that pretty much makes up my research. I 
a lot of these subjects I'd love to research for six months, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah. most of the time I have two weeks. So right. I do what I can in the two weeks and I get it out. Nice. Well, um, so since you do this so much now, do you find in your downtime, are you still consuming this, these topics whenever you're reading or is it kind of like you, you, you've done enough for this genre because of work? Um, I go back and forth. There, um, there are some stories that we cover that are like emotionally impactful and I have to like, just kind of step back for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are others that just get me excited and I'll go, you know, um, like when I was researching the Ozark Howler, um, I, the list of the list of books that I found while researching the Ozark Howler is probably the most exciting list of books I've had in months. Like when I was finished with that, I, I just went on a binge of, of books on the Ozarks and that eventually connected to like Appalachia and like, just, I love the concept of the people who settled these areas brought lore with them from the old country. Right. Mm -hmm. And the way it's been reshaped and molded to fit North America, basically, um, which I think the Ozark Howler is the best example of, because it's if you look at it objectively, it's literally the black dog myth from um, the British Isles. Yeah, it's they. And I mean, you can see that they gave it, they brought the myth over, they brought the lore with them, and they literally gave it features of North American animals, right? They just like reshaped it to fit this place. And I think that's really cool. That's, it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It is neat to see how we, how we change things like that to fit what we need. Well, speaking of that, are there other stories that have caught your attention that, when you look back at the way that it's shaped from whether it's England or Germany or anywhere over overseas that when the settlers brought it over, it had such a significant shift that has just been something that kind of stole your heart a little bit. Like, uh, man, I really appreciate that they, they changed it for us or for this area. Um, <clears throat> I, like I said, I think the best example, that's the howler. Um, mm-hmm. But I also really like the, I also really like, I have a little affinity for the Apple Twitch. Um, (laughs) It's such like a cute little story, but it's also like, you know how like if you're out walking by yourself and you see like a dog, yeah, you're like, oh, a dog, cool. But like compare that experience to out walking by yourself and you see 12 dogs. Yeah. Right. Like it gets yeah. a little, you're uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like you think of the Apple Twitch as like this little like, oh, it's like a little cute, like almost like a little Muppet version of Bigfoot. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like imagine like walking through an apple orchard and there are 30 of them. Right. That's that's uncomfortable. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I really, I really like that story 
it's generally assumed that it's um it comes from germany um from the the germans that settled that area and yeah. i'm sure you know you you probably know as much or more about it than i do but like not that one no um <laughs> it's it's really it's it's cute it was more nefarious originally the original german version was a little witch tracks Checks right yeah, yeah um yeah. but this this version this americanized version is it's cute because it's sort of it's all about like apples right mm-hmm. they steal people's they stand they tend to steal food from people while they're like picnicking and so they would steal food people would get up from their picnics and you know walk around and they would come back and their food is gone but then they would always throw the apples back at them like they didn't <laughs> want the apples right so yeah. you just have these like cute little cute little primates ostensibly primates um mm-hmm. up in these apple trees and these orchards just like chucking apples at at picnickers <laughs> and yeah i i like that story yeah uh, that is adorable as long as there's not 30 of them like you yeah one or two yeah. But, yeah a whole herd of them or whatever the collective yeah. term would be yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Hopefully not a murder. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, a murder of Apple Twitch. <laughs> I think that we should just we should just make that. Just yeah. That's what it is. That's okay. Sure. Yeah, it's official. Yeah. Heard it here first. It's Confirmed. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> um so of the topics cuz you like you said you're trying to cover all kinds of strange categories um of all the topics that you've covered hundred episodes that you put out what one seemed to be the most unnerving for you to cover I mean it's got to be demonic possession um we covered the possession of Michael Taylor um which happened in the UK in the 70s mm-hmm. and it was I I really don't I'm not a true crime person Um, and a lot of the hauntings and the demonic possessions, they, they butt up against true crime, right? Because when you're talking haunting, of course, you have to talk about, you know, whatever tragedy created this haunting, right? Um, but demonic possession gets to me in a way that, that nothing else we cover does it, um, and it's it's not that I'm afraid of demons per se. I'm I'm not even sure if I believe in demons to be honest. Um, but the idea that a person can change that drastically that quickly, mm-hmm. I find pretty terrifying. Yeah. Um, in the my the Michael Taylor possession case got very violent. Um, basically the. Like, I won't get into the details, but the story is he was part of this this religious group that was, I mean, it was basically a cult in its infancy mm-hmm. um, that never got off the ground because of the this story. Yeah. Um, so they decided that he was possessed and they put him through um, 
like 12 hours of exorcism and after 12 hours they were basically like you're almost done there are a few demons left in you like go home with your wife and we'll regroup this evening and finish it Mm -hmm. and then he went home and murdered his wife oh yeah um in like an incredibly brutal way and we like this was still early in the show and i wasn't i still wasn't sure how deep to go on that so i just went for it and covered like every gruesome detail of it and that one stuck with me for a while um not and not just because of the violence but like these this was a couple who'd been married for 22 years um and they you know he had been a perfectly normal guy you know he got a little depressed when the uk in the 70s experienced a pretty severe um recession Mm -hmm. and he was one of the you know thousands of people who lost their jobs and you know he got depressed which you know is perfectly normal right exactly um but to this like sort of radical church group it was seen as, as a sign of possession and they basically convinced the guy that like that there was evil inside him right yeah and yeah and that was the result and yeah that that one i found incredibly unsettling mm-hmm. yeah that's that is disturbing i'm gonna have to look up that episode and listen to it at some point but it's not before that sort of yeah thing. absolutely listen to it at 1 p.m i recommend <laughs> yeah so maybe tomorrow we've already passed the threshold yeah. here for that yeah um <laughs> so i know you already prepped for this because you alluded to it but at the end of every show i ask for a story so what story can you tell me jordan okay i'm yeah i'm excited about this one because i've sort of alluded to it on other shows and but mm-hmm. i've never given the full story so this is yes. this is an exclusive <laughs> heck yeah right? it is yeah. um <clears throat> so this is the story of my father's Bigfoot encounter in Alaska. <gasps> Bigfoot encounter in Alaska? Yes. Okay. All right. I'm in. Okay. So in 1976, my dad was 13 years old. His older brother was 16. And through the everlasting wisdom of their father, who, to be fair, my dad was one of 13 children. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I don't don't know if to be fair is the right phrase because it's (laughs) pretty shady. Um, My grandfather didn't really care, right? He was just that Mm -hmm. kind of, that kind of like old school guy that like saw his 13 year old son as men you know what i mean um so what he allowed his 13 year old son and 16 year old son to do was just leave (laughs) (laughs) so they just left home um 13 and 16 and they hitchhiked across the country Oh, my goodness. And survived, clearly. Yes. In 1976, which is prime get-killed-by-serial-killer time in the United States, particularly hitchhiking. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, they hitchhiked from Jonesboro, Indiana to Olympia, Washington mm-hmm. in the span of two weeks, which is like wow. 2,200 miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they stayed with a... They stayed with a woman there. I'm kind of fuzzy on the details there, but they stayed with her for um, a little over a month. Wow. Yeah, in Olympia. And then they took off again. And this Mm -hmm. time the goal was to go north. So they hitchhiked another 2,300 miles, eventually ending up in Anchorage. (sighs) Wow. Yeah, Yeah. they made it all the way to Anchorage, Alaska. Um, But on the way there... They were, they were walking on Highway 1, right? Mm-hmm. Right outside Mentasta Lake. Mm-hmm. And they had walked all day and couldn't get a ride, right? And the sun was going down and it started snowing. And, like, they basically understood that they were in for a rough night, right? right? Um, and they didn't have anything, that's another thing about this story, which is crazy to me, is like just two kids, no car, no money, just one backpack stuffed with their dad's old MREs. <laughs> That's all they had. Yeah. A couple pocket uh, knives. Yeah. Like, yeah. So when it gets dark, it's and it's snowing, like they're used to being able to walk after dark because there's no light pollution up there and the stars basically like light up the night. Yeah. Right. But because it had started snowing, it was overcast. And like my dad always described it as like when it got dark, it was like being like, it was like someone snapped the lid shut on a Tupperware dish around you. Like Mm -hmm. there's just nothing. You can't even see your hand in front of your face dark. Mm -hmm. So Basically, they like stumble their way off the road, about 50 feet off the road, they find like a felled tree on its side and their plan, because they don't have a tent, they don't have anything. Their plan is just to like huddle up together under their coats up against this, this tree, right? And just wait out the night. So they're there. It was like, it's pitch black. <clears throat> and all of a sudden they start hearing noises. Um, he, he described it as like, like branches, they hear branches snapping. They hear like something big moving around in the, like in the underbrush. Mm-hmm. And he said he, he always said that he wasn't really freaked out until he started hearing like this huffing noise. Like that to him sounded like, like something an ape would make, right? Mm -hmm. Just that like forced air out of its mouth, right? Um, So having nothing significant to defend themselves, just a couple pocket knives, they decide they're going to, they're going to stay like, they're going to sit back to back with their coats over them, with their little pocket knives in their hands. (laughs) um and as soon as they do that they start hearing a lot of noise like Mm. 
crazy noises, like loud vocalizations from multiple directions. Oh boy. Yeah. And like my dad always described it as a mix, the noise as like a mix between a gorilla and a tiger. Interesting. Is what they heard. Like yeah. sort of like a gorilla, but he said bigger and more like there's like a growl mixed in there. Um, so throughout the night, it would, the noises would get really close to them and then farther back and really close to them and farther back. Like, yeah. almost like it was like toying with them or, yeah. um, I don't know, maybe just trying to figure out what they were. Yeah. Um, but it would get really loud when they, it was close. And then when it moved back, they would just kind of hear like, light footfalls or heavy footfalls but like the vocalization would ramp up as it got really close to them and then move back but it's so dark they can't see anything yeah. right yeah um so they basically spend the entire night awake back to back like prepared to fight a giant monster with a pocket knife <laughs> right sure. like yeah. yeah um and eventually the sun starts coming up and it, it moves off. That's how they spent the entire night. Yeah. So they're exhausted and scared. And, yeah. But relieved, I'm sure. Yeah, as the sun came up, for sure. Oh, my goodness. How long were they in Alaska before they came back home, or did they go somewhere else after Alaska? My, my dad's older brother, who was 16 at the time, stayed in Alaska until he was in his late 20s. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, he eventually, because when they got up to Anchorage, he, he got a job. Uh -huh. um, I think it was on, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was. A job on a boat. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. Or in a cannery, maybe. Mm -hmm. Might've been a cannery. Um, but eventually he ended up sending my dad home like paying for my dad to, to go home. Um, but he's, yeah, he stayed until he was like 27, 28. Um, yeah. So he lived in Alaska for quite a while. That's a crazy story. All elements of that are crazy. Story. Yeah. Like, that's pretty, I mean, that's awesome, but as a parent, terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a 13 year old and a 15 year old and I can't, I don't, I get nervous yeah. when they spend the night places. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Yep. I understand that. Ah, oh, man, I can't even. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> so for our listeners and our viewers, where can they find you and keep up with the podcast? Uh, <clears throat> you can follow the podcast on any podcast platform. We're on every one of them. Um, you can also follow us at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow us at campfire, T-A-T-S-O-U on Twitter, um, T-O-T-S-A-U. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a mouthful. <laughs> the whole title is a mouthful. I, I'm fully aware. Um, but That's part of the academic. Also, yeah. It's the subtitle. Right? I, I get that for the things I've written yeah, I, I couldn't help it. Um, it's been pounded into me. Um, 
We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. It'll take you longer to type it than it will to decide which tier you want to go with. <laughs> um, but I believe in you. Um, <laughs> also, I write for Paranormality Magazine. Um, nice. And you can follow them at Paranormality Mag on all the socials. Go to paranormalitymag.com to check out the magazine. Super proud of what we're doing over there. So definitely go check that out. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thanks for taking time to talk with me today. Oh, man. It was an honor. I'm, uh, I love your show. Oh, so. Thank you so much. Um, there was another kitty that made an appearance that was black and white. Mm-hmm. Large, tall kitty that came in. But that kitten is just snoozing you want to see her one more time? Yeah. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> She's like, you just woke me up. What are yeah. you doing? Oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe that that's only four weeks. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> four weeks. Aww. All right, guys. Well, like, subscribe. You can comment below. Email me, Heather at smalltownmonsters.com. Um, and go check out Jordan's podcast. All right, until next time.